You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Oz Network as we continue our recap series of Nip Tuck, the first season. And we are into the finale of the first season, episode 13, entitled Escobar Galado. It aired on the 21st of October 2003, and a lot of stuff to talk about this one. It's a, it's a great episode. Great amount of stuff to talk about, and it's hard to believe that we are already at the pointy end of at least one season, and we have got stuff to get to, so much so that I need to introduce myself so we can start talking about it. My name is Ben, and your dick started this mess. Now it's time for it to finish it. <laughs> and I'm Nick, and uh, you need to make love to me. <laughs> All right, well, shall we start recording this now, seeing as we, we're on some sort of <laughs> page here? What did we say last episode about things are getting a little bit interesting between you and I, Nick? Um, wow, okay. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we uh, it's hard to believe we're already now at the end of the first season. We've, we've been rushing through this, uh, but it's a good thing, right? I mean, it's not like we haven't been enjoying all this. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like we're like, oh my God, we're only at the end of the first season, you know, that, that's not what we're thinking, so that's that's got to be a good thing. Mm, it definitely is, but uh, as kind of we touched on in the last episode, it's it's almost a two-parter, this, these last two to, to close out the season, and... Um we obviously covered a little bit in regards to that uh, in our in our previous episode, but uh, ties up a lot of loose ends when it comes to a lot in this first season. Still lets a few things open moving into uh, season two as well. And um, I mean, it's just it's just a unique way of ending it. You you sort of mentioned in the last episode, it almost feels in a way like they're they're cramming a lot down our throat. But uh, again, as we've also touched on a fair bit, you know, at least Nip Tuck seems to really focus for the most part 95 percent of the time on on closing these things out yeah absolutely and i think it's um it's interesting because i wonder what they knew about whether they'd been renewed at the time and you know if, if i wasn't so lazy i probably could have found that out but you know basically did they know they were going to get a second season or not you know that would have been quite interesting because it does feel like they are they're really focused on making sure that they get all the the loose ends tied up so you know if, and i guess it's something we can talk to it about at the end is you know if this was it if this is all we got you know how satisfied would we be with what we get yeah for sure and of course we will do a we're going to do a after this one sort of a season one recap we'll do that at the end of every season just kind of go over main bits here and there and we can you know obviously talk a little bit about that because yeah i'm, I'm sort of unfamiliar to whether or not this was um automatically renewed or anything along those lines because i mean it, it was you know we talk about how it kind of it was known but not well known i mean for a large portion of this run it was the highest rating cable show in the u.s for quite a, a portion of its uh run on all networks so something i guess we haven't really touched on but we can get to that in our sort of our recap that we do of of season one when we get to it because we're here obviously to talk about this episode and we get straight into it already uh with more surgery lots of boobs uh great 80s music we've got some uh science by mystery of funk i have not heard that song in a long time i completely forgot it was even in this episode um but again we just love the 80s music but we basically from this point on finding out this is the 10th girl this month which goes back i think to what we're saying in the last episode about how the timeline of this show can get a little bit obscure so at least we know there's about a month that has passed in this but i mean i think there's obviously been a little bit more time passed in this episode given when we get to the gina and christian stuff but um i love kind of this line here when escobar's saying you know because sean's basically like i need an end date and then when what does escobar say oh, islands are expensive <laughs> he wants yeah, an yeah. island <laughs> yeah 
No, they're um, you know, they're really not kind of been around the bush about the fact that this guy is a complete asshole, and you definitely get that in, in this opening scene. I think what's quite interesting to me is that my memory of this finale is that it was almost all to do with the Escobar storyline, and when you watch it back, it's actually a pretty small part of this episode, which is quite interesting. But we 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 basically pick up exactly where we left off in the last one. You know, it's still all about these these girls coming in with the implants and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're just continuing that storyline, I guess. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is kind of just, just the throwaway lines are about like, you know, 10th girl this month. And as obviously they're so trapped in this situation and Sean, you know, kind of trying to stand up and say like, I need an end date. And that's kind of a recurring thing too with some of the stuff that happens this episode, of course, is Sean finally trying to stand up to this. Um, which obviously has varying effects, but we'll get to that. Um, and we kind of get the line then from Escobar, you know, where's your partner? Because Christian, he's not there. Where is he? He's at Meryl's house. And uh, yeah, yeah. we see Kimber. Uh, we haven't seen Kimber in a few episodes since, you know, she basically tied up Christian to the bed. But uh, it's a great scene. I love her sort of her line there when she's like, arsenic or strychnine, what's your poison? <laughs> then, of course, we get the absolute neat again. Uh, Kimber's engaged to Meryl. Oh, how sweet. That's her second engagement in the first season. She likes to move pretty quickly. Um, and then, obviously, Christian basically saying about how, you know, he's, you know, you're not in love. And she's basically saying, I don't believe in love anymore. And then she's she's taking, what, cocaine? And her line when she says, like, nine months ago, you were sniffing this off my ass. So, are we led to believe that this whole season takes over nine months, basically? Is that kind of going on this weird timeline that that's essentially the entire season takes place over nine months? Yeah, well, I guess that's kind of what we're getting here. Um, so, uh, that's kind of weird because, you know, if Gina's about to pop, then that's kind of assuming that basically that the first episode should also feature her. And I guess it's actually not that far into it. So that's, that's not so problematic, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, (laughs) this whole thing with Meryl is really quite weird to me. And I do like that. They keep going back to this absolute neat, you know, (laughs) this is the kind of almost a James Bond type thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, he's a specific drink and that's what he has. And, and he always has it. And I wonder if that was, they were trying to make that a bit of a line for him. And I don't think it ever really caught on if that's what they were hoping for. Well, but you can you can definitely see it there, can't you? Well, as a vodka drinker myself, Nick, I will say that Absolute is a fine glass of vodka. So <laughs> I think we touched on this in the first episode. And again, Absolute, if you're listening, please sponsor the Oz Network because I'd gladly have you on board. Uh, if you're sending me, you know, products, I'll happily take it. So <laughs> my name is Ben Waterworth. The address is... Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll edit that bit out later, maybe. But uh, it's it's a it's an interesting <laughs> kind of how it, it comes about with the whole Meryl stuff this episode because I look we talk about hashtag poor Matt. And I think we touched on sort of hashtag poor Meryl, but Meryl definitely does a lot of this stuff himself, and it's kind of weird with Meryl because you know we we get it. He's a rival of Sean and Christian and all this sort of stuff, and he goes out of his way to to you know go a bit crazy and advertise and you know sort of make up for sort of his shortcomings that he doesn't have compared to Christian and Sean but this whole episode it's kind of I feel really bad for him the fact that it just goes downhill so quickly for Meryl this episode you know we've we kind of get this scene of him you know he's he's madly in love with Kimba Kimba clearly doesn't love him and you know we get Christian basically saying you know does it bother you every time that you know you're having sex with her she's thinking about fucking me and he's just basically like yes it does um, and he's basically going to run Christian and that out of town. So I guess kind of there's a bit of evil, you know, plan going there. He's using false advertising, claiming that he fixed Kimber up when, of course, it was Christian. But um, I don't know the stuff that we get to very shortly with Meryl. Is it a bit harsh on poor Meryl? 
Well, I think it's, it's interesting, and I guess he's just used as a plot point, really, that there has to be, and I guess this is one of the, the kind of central things about this whole episode, this whole season, really, and, and the show going further on, is that these guys are plastic surgeons, and there there is an inherent thing about them that they will do anything for the money, and what you're seeing with these two main guys is that, especially Sean, but even Christian as well, that there's a large part of that, that they won't do things just for the money, that they're above that, and, you know, Meryl's not, and Meryl is the one that gets punished for not being above that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I kind of like also the, the throwaway line there again, sort of our recurring can of worms that we've opened about, you know, is, is Miami and Florida really a plot point in this whole show? Uh, but, of course, the throwaway line there when Meryl basically says, I'm going to drive you out of town, you'll have to go to Tampa. Um, and it's kind of like, okay, so Tampa is basically the shit area of Florida. That That's where the shit plastic surgeons go to. I've never been to Tampa, but I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see if that's a thing. Um, but, you know, throwaway line there, keeping a watch on our Florida mentions. Um, no, no, that's, it's good that we, you know, we're kind of keeping it, keeping it local and, and, you know, making sure that we still got that relevant bit about it being in, in Florida, you know. The only thing I really know about Tampa is that uh, they've got a ice hockey team there that I fucking hate. So, uh, fuck you, Tampa Bay Lightning. Still angry at you after the 2004 Stanley Cup. It was a goal in Game 6 and Calgary were robbed. Anyway, uh, let's move on to Julia and Gina watching Julia give birth. Um, which is kind of an interesting little scene. I, I like kind of, you know, Gina and Julia hanging out. But then, you know, sort of the throwback to the story about why Christian was there in the birth. You know, Gina sort of saying, like, well, what was in it for him? And then, you know, obviously Julia saying about, uh, you know, the three of us used to be very close. Uh, and what did Gina say about, you know, I don't think he's going to be a very good dad. But then, you know, Julia kind of stands up for him about, you know, him teaching Annie to swim and all these other things that happen. I mean, it's a nice little scene. And I think it's it's always interesting watching these flashbacks to Christian and, and Sean and all that sort of stuff in the younger days when all they basically do is get Julie McMahon and make him have longer hair. Um, that's kind of yeah, yeah. all they do. And, of course, in season six, we get, you know, this great episode of flashback of, you know, Sean and Christian meeting each other, which, you know, use different actors, which I think is done very well. But it's just I just find it interesting, these flashbacks, the way they try and make them look younger when really I guess they don't try ultimately too hard. But I guess we still believe it, though. Yeah, I guess so, and I, I think it's uh, they do a pretty good job of making these guys look younger without really doing anything. Yeah, and you know, I think it was even just with, with the clothes and things and the hairstyles. You know, it's, it's quite clever, and you wouldn't expect that they'd be able to pull it off as well as they do. So it is, it's quite impressive. It is something that I am really impressed with. Um, and I, I do like this thing that you know you've kind of got Julia and um, Gina kind of getting along, and that you know that I'm not sure that that was really earned, but. You do get this, you know, this kind of sweet little moment between them as well, which I think is is quite cool. Yeah, for sure. And we, we don't get a whole lot of Gina and Julia. I mean, we do a bit in season three. Obviously, there's a bit of a storyline involved with them, but um, it's kind of it's. I, I don't mind it. It's because from memory, do we ever get Kimber Julia scenes? No, but I think we get you know obviously Gina Julia. Uh, Julia's a little bit more effective in this episode, I feel, than the last episode, Nick. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, just thought we'd touch on that. Uh then we go back to McNamara Troy where we meet uh we meet this socialite guy with his dog. 
basically. <laughs> he wants he wants Sean and Christian to take hair off his tail and put it on his chest or something. And the the hot dog world of, of show dogs, he, you know, talking about poodles with noodles and all this random stuff. I love Sean the way he delivers a line, we don't do dogs. <laughs> and basically, you know, they need the money though because he's offering like a hundred grand plus fifty thousand more for confidentiality. And it's kind of going all the way back to the very first episode how they got into this mess by taking money essentially. But I think they're in a little bit more strife this episode than uh, the first episode. But um, I don't know. I just love their reactions, and I love this guy. This. Old Will, I don't even know how to describe this guy. Um, this little scene he has at the end there when he's like kissing the dog in the. It's like, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah and he's wearing a cravat, which is, you know, <laughs> only, only MasterChef judges from Australia can really wear cravats and get away with it. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, to, to be honest, you know, knowing a little bit about this world, I mean, this is not the kind of dog showing that I do, but. I, I know a little bit about this world, and it's not a million miles away from the truth. Unfortunately, wow. I'm not sure that the money. I'm not sure that the money is really um, quite such a big player as this is kind of making it out to be. I'm not sure that that part is true. But this kind of obsession with the dogs looking a certain way—that's definitely a thing. So I think it's been played up, you know, to to make it more kind of dramatic. But it's yeah, it does feel like this could actually be a thing. Yeah, it's. It's interesting. I mean, obviously, that's going to play a bit in it uh, very soon in this episode. But um, we get this scene kind of of them discussing whether or not they should take it and how they're going to downsize. And we get the line about, oh, we'll fire Grace. But then it's kind of like, no, we can't because there'll be a sexual harassment because you can't keep your dick in your pants. Let's just point it out right now. The last reference we ever get of Grace ever. I, I, I'm going to stand by that fact because I swear she's not mentioned at all in season two. So, I mean, here we go, Nick. Grace, done and dusted, can't get fired, but clearly something happens there. This is our recurring thing from season one, which I'm sure we'll touch more on in our recap episode next, but uh, there's there's our, our Grace story arc. It's done and dusted with a throwaway line like that. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Grace. Hashtag, you won't be yeah. missed. <laughs> <laughs> Rough. Yeah, very rough. Rough affair. Um, but from there, we kind of, we get the line of what they're basically talking about, you know, is this where you thought we'd be at 40 and kind of just everything along those lines. And then we fade into Sean, Julia, uh, you know, this little scene about Julia basically saying, I don't know who you are anymore, taking the ring off, basically implying that they're going to get a divorce. And, you know, it's kind of all built up really to this, hasn't it? And Sean, his whole don't give up on me and... Julia, you know, we haven't been family in a long time. We may as well make it official. I do actually, I have a, you know, a weird memory of this being promoted on TV here in Australia, sort of, you know, the finale, first season final of Nip Tucks. I remember they would always show that that scene of Sean, you know, don't give up on me, you know, and just obviously how they dramatically edit for a promo. But um, I guess, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty strong scene, well acted by both uh, Dylan and, and uh, Jolly, but... Uh, yeah, it's kind of, this is um, the official end of uh, Sean and Julia uh, take one. Yeah, of about, what, 35 takes? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the thing that also comes into the scene a little bit is the, the whole money issue. And I think it's kind of interesting that they talk around the fact that Escobar, you know, we obviously know that Julia knows that something's going on in that way because he's been to the house. So when he kind of first, when Sean first walks in, she says, I'm not going to ask where you were because you won't tell me anyway. You know, I think it's easy to kind of read that as she thinks he's having an affair, but it's a little bit more layered than that. 
and you know she kind of gives him the ring because you know he needs money and and all that kind of thing which i think is also a, a quite a harsh thing because you know as Sean says, you know that's that's his what his grandmother's ring or something like that. Yeah. So it's not you know like that that feels like a bit of a slap in the face from Julia as well as that. If you want money, go and sell your family heirloom. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I, this doesn't reflect all that well on Julia. I think the scene it makes her feel a little bit selfish. Which is kind of interesting that what happens later on in this episode with the ring, and then when she wants it back, um, it's kind of. Yeah, it's kind of weird in the grand scheme of things, but it's interesting when you're saying about how it's all laid and, you know, kind of how it all builds up to this moment. And, you know, obviously we've had the whole affair and the whole not trusting situation. It's kind of interesting how then it works into this aspect of, you know, I mean, of course it's it's going to be natural. I mean, you, you realise your husband's having an affair and he's still going out late at night and coming home, you know, at all hours and not knowing where he is. So, obviously your first point of call is, oh, you must be having another affair. So it's kind of interesting how it's been so laid and kind of works into this sort of, and again, we can I, no doubt talk about that in our next episode, but it, it works, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'm really surprised at how much this personal stuff is a part of this episode, having not seen it for a long time, that I thought this would be a total kind of Escobar episode. And, that we're getting such heavy, dramatic, emotional scenes between these two is not something I expected. And I really think that they've earned this whole thing throughout the the whole course of the season. So it's a really touching way. And obviously we're not finished with this. We're going to get into this more throughout this episode. Um, but I think that the, the, the scenes between these two throughout this episode, uh, for me, I think they're actually the highlights of the episode. Yeah, yeah. I probably agree with you there. Good, good call, Nick. Good call. Um, we then, we cut to uh, Meryl. First ever time we see Meryl in surgery. Um, and he's taken the dog case. Of course he has. Uh, he says, he's his $100,000 I'll ever make. Uh, and basically, it all comes down to this dog has a stroke on the table. Uh, says to his assistant, like, oh, you know, do something. It's like, what, like, give it mouth to mouth? Yes. Screw you, asshole. <laughs> Just walks out. Worst assistant ever. Um, but then basically, uh, I do like the bit when he's giving him mouth to mouth. And then he's just like, you know, dry reaching. And then he's like, shit! Um, I mean, this is just, it's just funny. Again, it kind of goes back to, you know, do we feel sorry for Meryl? Um, but I don't know. It's kind of, it's just an interesting take. And we obviously later on find out that he gets sued for $10 million for this situation. But um, I don't know. It's it's just an interesting way of closing out poor Meryl's storyline, at least for the first season. Yeah, absolutely. And... You know, I think, like I was going back to talking about before, I think this is, you know, this is the part of what it costs you if you're um, going to take the money at no cost. You know, you know that if there's nothing in you that stops you from taking the money, then things like this are going to happen to you. And, you know, I think it's it's really interesting to see this happen to him. And, you know, because we have associated Christian with being, you know, pretty much an asshole throughout this whole this whole season and he's got different redeeming qualities he's not a Meryl and you get to see what happens to somebody who who does take the money with no questions asked yeah Meryl's kind of like Christian but without a soul I guess like Meryl's what Christian would be if he didn't have that Sean element to him I guess you know and it's kind of as you said Christian is a total asshole at times but he cares and we're about to kind of see that really in the scene where it's about to follow but yeah for sure Meryl like 
you know, he's he doesn't really have a caring bone in his body, does he? No, exactly. And it's all about him and that you know, that's gonna come back and bite him and well, it does bite him here, you know. Yeah. And I mean one thing I will say with Merrill, it's kind of like I mean, look moving forward into the second season when he ultimately will return, spoiler alert, but like there's there's bits and pieces of his character where you do genuinely feel for him. And there are elements to what happens to him that aren't necessarily his fault, but then he just takes it too far, I guess. That's kind of what happens with Meryl. But, um, you know, he's kind of that tragic character that, um, you know, I remember when we did interview Joey Slotnick about it. And, you know, I mean, as, as I think I've mentioned earlier, you know, Joey Slotnick mentioned he loved playing Meryl. It was just such a fun character for him to play. Um, and I could imagine that. But, uh, you know, again, it's kind of just the tragic character of Meryl Bobolit. But, um, you know, we'll get back to him. We, we, we will see Meryl again and not just in a newspaper article very, very soon. Um, but yeah, we obviously then cut to the Gina Christian scene. Love this sequence. I love, you know, them at dinner. It's kind of, it's a nice little bit, you know, they're having nice little romantic dinner. And then, you know, obviously Christian's like, well, what do you want? And then she's like, I need you to make love to me. And we kind of obviously get this whole um, sequence about how, you know, she basically needs him to have sex with her because she wants this baby out of him. And this is, it's funny actually, because like, I think I've mentioned before about Nip Tuck being an educational tool to myself over the years. This is the first kind of time I ever heard about this whole, you know, thing about when you're pregnant at a certain time that sex can actually be a tool. And this isn't the only show I've heard. I've, I've heard this plenty of times. So apparently this is the thing. If you're listening to us and you're pregnant, get the father of your baby or anyone else to have sex with you. Apparently the baby can come quite sooner. So there you go. Um, but from there, I do love the whole, the sequence we get of all the different sex scenes when they're just trying all the different positions. And I love Christian's throwaway line when he's like, Jesus, how do fat people have sex? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is, it is a good one. And, um, what's, what's the music that's uh, freaky, freaky or something? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I haven't gotten that sweet, one written sweet down. Stuff. Sweet stuff. Freaky. And, you know, like to me, this is, you know, we talk about all the music in these last couple of episodes, especially the Escobar stuff being all this, you know, 80s stuff. This is like classic 70s, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and I love the music in this episode and in this series. And this is just another good example of it, really. Yeah, it all ends quite sweetly, you know, when, um, you know, they're obviously finally in a position where they can have proper sex. And she kind of turns around and says, you know, you're you're going to be a good daddy. You know, thank you for everything you've done. Really, really sweet area and then it kind of obviously fades into kind of christians talk about how you know he thinks they're going to do well and obviously sean says about you know as a couple and and he's like no shit no as parents maybe i mean it's just it's a nice coming around of christian's character isn't it that kind of you know clearly again this is a guy who has sex a lot um you know something like this probably surprising that it really hasn't happened to him in the past but now that it kind of has happened to him, he's obviously really taken to it and he's, uh, you know, really looking forward to being a dad. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Christian's a kind of character that it could be, you know, it, it's dangerous. And, you know, he could really turn on this character if he is too overboard. Um, and they need scenes like this that make you really appreciate who he is and, and like his character. You, you totally need this. Otherwise, he just becomes this complete douchebag and he's not. And you've got to love him. And and that's the main thing about him is that, you know, he's the more fun character to watch of the two, absolutely. But you need to have these emotional scenes where, you know, you really do side with him. And he does an awesome job in this. And the best stuff of mine for Christian is not the stuff where, you know, he's hooking up with, with some model or whatever. It's the stuff he's doing where, you know, it's 
this kind of emotional stuff. That's where he is at his absolute best. Yeah, for sure. And we, we get some really good stuff with him in this episode coming later on. Um, but we, I mean, there's a great scene here between Christian and Sean Steele and kind of, you know, Christian saying about how he never thought he'd be a father. What does he say? Like, he thought he'd be retired at 40 in the Bahamas or something like that. Um, and then we get Sean kind of talking about the fact that, you know, oh, Julian and I are getting a divorce. It's kind of ironic that you're about to start a family just as I'm losing one, which is kind of it's a sad throwaway line there and you sort of really feel for Sean. But, um, you know, we'll get to... Well, I think just, just to jump in there, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Sean does a really good job with Sean. Um, Dylan Walsh, sorry, does a really good job of reacting to this. You know, like I think his just his facial expressions are really good and I think that's something that you kind of lose a little bit with him if you, if you forget about it is, you know, because... Christian always gets the best lines, you know, totally gets the best lines, and Julian McMahon does a good job with them. But I think, you know, it seems like this where Dylan Walsh, like, just his facial expressions yeah. and his reaction, really, really good. And this is one where you, you get that and you see that, you know, he reacts really, really well to, you know, you, you get that kind of, he's really happy for Christian. You you get that in his face, but you also get, you know, that kind of melancholy thing about, you know, him and Julia are breaking up as well. And it's just all captured in those expressions more than any of the words he says, um, it's really incredible, actually. Yeah, I'd definitely say Dylan Walsh is a more expressive actor than Julian McMahon. And it's not to take away anything that Julian McMahon does. I mean, he's a great actor, but for sure, I mean, you know, Dylan Walsh definitely handles a lot of these very, you know, a lot stronger. And, um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you how it kind of goes there. Um, but obviously, from this bit, we get into another surgery, um, another sort of uh, scene with the boobs and heroin as we i've got a lot of um i love escobar's kind of little you know throwaway little kiss there to liz um you know just sort of leading into it but then uh throughout this surgery what happens then uh escobar says pepe get the cooler he's going to get a kidney and basically talking about organ harvesting that he gets fifty thousand dollars for one kidney now one thing that i completely forgot and this is not really a spoiler but it kind of is in a way i'm just going to say it's not the biggest spoiler but this really is forward thinking in terms of what happens in season four. That's all I'll say. Um, but I, I completely forgot that this little thing happens. And I don't know if this was necessarily an overall plan of Ryan Murphy and the writers of this show to make this a plot line in the future. But how, like, thinking about that now and knowing what happens in the fourth season, I have to say, it's if it wasn't planned, it worked out very well for them. If it was planned massive props to them that they could make this a really big thing. I don't know if that's something that you kind of thought about in this or you even have much memories of season four, but uh, that's just something I thought I'd quickly add. I think with the season four thing is that, uh, you know, I I don't want to think that they actually plan this this far in advance. I, I don't believe that, but I think probably what they would do is when they sit down to start season four and they've just come out of this Carver thing and they probably wanted to just, get a get back to basics a little bit and so they were kind of like well what is there anything we can pick up from you know season one early season two that we could kind of expand on so that i reckon that's probably where it's come from mm, that's a good point good point but it, it, it works for them well though doesn't it the fact that they can do that it's kind of it's not one of these ones that you kind of feel tv shows do where it's like they're stretching something that happened in the earlier days it'd be kind of like come season six had they brought the carver back you'd be like oh really um, you know, it's kind of like they they put that to rest. But, you know, there are a lot of shows out there that will easily kind of recycle things to the death. I mean, we mentioned 24 slightly in the last episode, but, 
you know, it's kind of, you get to a certain point of 24, it's kind of like, okay, they've done this five times already. You know, it's it's like, wow. Whereas, yeah, it's it's kind of one of these throwaway things that once you know how Nip Tuck ends and how it happens and what goes along with each of the seasons, I just think it's something that really works well in that fourth season. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm really looking forward to going back to season four because it is a bit of a blank spot for me. It's an underrated season. Interesting- I feel it's really underrated. Yeah, I mean that's my memory of it is that I think it, it kind of gets caught between the Carver stuff and the and the LA stuff, so you kind of forget about it a little bit. So I'm really looking forward to getting to that. And you know, look, I, I think this whole scene is really setting up that there has to be an end game here that we can't just stretch this out. We can't go to the cops. There really is only one way out, and um, it doesn't end up actually being the way that it does end up. But these guys are now getting desperate, and they're going to have to act and. You know, it all comes to a head really when Liz gets shot, you know. So yeah. this, this is serious. And, uh, you know, we need to do something about this. It has to end. Otherwise, this is just going to keep escalating and keep escalating. And because it's pretty much Escobar, just as you kind of going back to that, the first uh, sequence when he's talking about Isla, he's crazy. He just, he knows he's got these two just, you know, where he wants them. He can basically do whatever the fuck he wants. It's not like they can say no to him. And it kind of happens when Sean stands up and says, no, I won't do that. And then basically, yeah, Liz yeah. gets shot. Um, yeah. So, kind of from here, obviously, we see Liz at the, uh, you know, the very noticeable Miami airport. Uh, I really would love somebody listening to it. Again, I've never, I've been to Miami, not to the airport. I want to know if that is the, what it kind of looks like, because that is a weird looking airport. Um, I'm going to say it's not the Miami airport. Uh, but hey, if it is, cool, I'll stand corrected. But, um, you know, we get this nice little scene between Sean, Christian and Liz. You know, she's getting a paid vacation to Bermuda. Um, I, I love that line or whatever it is when she says, like, oh, you wouldn't be doing this if I was a man. And it's like, well, you know, I don't want you working around a guy who treats women like they're subhuman. And she's like, oh, hasn't stopped me from working with Christian over these years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, again... And obviously that really cool line as well about, you know, the, you're a bigger man than me. Yeah. You know, don't take this the wrong way. But you're, a bigger, you're a better man than I am. And, you know, I really like like that scene, I think it's it's really well played, and it's very interesting, kind of how like as they walk off, and what does Sean sort of say, like you know, putting him in jail won't stop this, which obviously you know they're desperate, we know they're desperate, and kind of it's implying now what Sean's willing to do for this whole situation. You know, he's lost his family, he's lost everything, so what's he got to lose? And that ultimately leads us into what we're getting to. But it's kind of interesting how he says that, knowing how this episode ends. But uh, we'll get to that. Sort of in between that bit though, we get Christian obviously and Julia, you know, just basically telling Julia the truth from this moment on and we get that line of when Julia says about, um, oh, was that about that man who came to our house? Again, like we mentioned that last episode, it's kind of like, well, that was kind of forgotten about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But yeah, but- I, I think one of the things too that, um, you know, like we, while we've got Christian here is one thing that we probably haven't talked a whole lot about is the fashion. And, you know, uh, and I did really picked up on this when they were leaving the airport and you've got Sean who's always dressed in quite drab, you know, business-like colours. And you, Christian's always in these bright, outrageous clothes and they, they actually shouldn't work. And the fact that Julia McMahon can actually pull off this look without looking like an absolute douchebag <laughs> is credit to the actor really. And you know, it's something that you you is just part of his character, and you kind of forget about it. But I think it was probably just that bright green shirt that he's wearing in these scenes just really reminded me of. It's like, how does he get away with this? And that's kind of going back to what I've said a lot of the time about how you know, 
I want to model my fashion around him and his character just because I love it. I just think it looks so cool. Um, but, uh, you know, sadly, I don't look like Julian McMahon, so I don't think it really would work that well for me. Um, and particularly now the show's a bit older. The fashion has moved on. I don't get fashion, all right? I'm unfashionable. That's why I'm single, let's be honest. But anyway, um, so from there, we move into some great stuff. Obviously, we've talked about the ring and kind of what happens with it. Well, now we see Sean with the ring, and he goes into a pawn shop, and not the type that we were talking about a couple of episodes ago, but uh, this one where he's wanting to swap his ring for a gun, and uh, then he goes back to Escobar's house, and we get our very first taste of Cars by Gary Newman. Um, just pointing it out there. This is Escobar's theme. From now on, whenever we'll see Escobar in the future, you will always hear this song. And again, as Nick and I have said, this song forever, whenever I hear it, is always related to Escobar Gallardo. And it's a great song, Nick. I mean, let's let's just take five seconds here to say how what a great song that is. Yeah, it really is. It's a cool song and it just fits with the scene so well. And again, like the, just the reactions and, and the way these two actors kind of play the scene is, is really cool. And, you know, you get the whole scene of, you know, you're a desperate man, desperate men don't come here to talk, they come here to kill. And, you know, Escobar is really just kind of challenging Sean to, you know, are you actually going to go through with this? And, and he, you know, he knows he's not. And I, I just really love this whole dynamic about Sean's got to this point now, and but he's not at the point where he can absolutely just pull this over. So it'd be interesting to, to think, you know, at what point do we, do we really start to think about, you know, because this is obviously the scene as well where Escobar starts talking about, um, you know, the, sh- the snake wants to shed a skin type of thing. Yeah. We, we get that this is a bit of an end game. And, you know, how quickly do you think Sean puts us together that this could be his ticket out of this? You know, do, is it immediate or, you know, how soon does that really that realisation come to him? Probably, I reckon, fairly soon there. They probably have to come up with a plan for it. But I think the thing that which is really good about this scene too, it's because, I mean, this becomes a recurring thing, doesn't it, with Sean? Like, we talked a few episodes ago, um, you know, when we sort of got him, the talking head in the surgery, but, you know, Sean's always the one who kind of sees the visions, but... Escobar generally becomes his inner evil. He's kind of like the devil on the shoulder, isn't it? So, you know, in future seasons, future episodes, whenever Sean's having a a sort of a moment where he needs to, you know, talk over things and, you know, bad and good, it's always, it's always Escobar that, you know, returns in his head. And it's always cars. It's always just, it's just so well done. But, um, it's kind of, it's just such a great scene. It's just so well acted. And like, as you were saying, kind of, you know, him challenging him to do it and with the lines, you know, I was like, Oh, first one's always the hardest. I was shaking like a little girl. I didn't puke afterwards. And it's kind of interesting though to note that how, what, an episode ago when they're in the diner with Pepe, how he's his food taster about, you know, being worried about assassination. Clearly the security around his house doesn't matter though. Um, so Pepe's just gone to the airport, you know, he does. He can just be un, you know, unsecure. But um, yeah, this whole scene- and it's interesting. Like, do, do we get do we get a scene anywhere where we um, where we and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm probably missing something here. But how does Sean know where he lives? We didn't. That- we didn't. We went over that last episode. We we did not know that because like he, when he showed up in the last episode, we we just it's just something that's just apparently it's that easy to find where drug lords live. Oh in Miami. yeah, of course. Yep, no, you're totally right, yeah, because we had the scene where he comes in and, and um, clocks him on the side of the head while he's having sex with his, with his um, girlfriend. That's yeah. right, yeah. So, it's yeah, I don't know. That's just a, a thing that you're just meant to assume that, sure, you know, Google drug lords of Miami and Escobar Gallardo comes up, you know, straight away. So, why not? But um, I do like the sequence, um, you know, again, with the music, how the song changes. We get Rapture by Blondie and he's all like, oh, shit, I love this song. 
And then he's like, you know, hell, you know, when a song takes you back to a moment, you know, in your life. Now, he, I, I'm, I'm gone all out here, Nick. He said he was 23 when this song came out. Rapture came out in 1981. So that means that Escobar Gallardo was born in 1958. So he's 45 years old in this scene. Just wanted to, you know, do a bit of research there. He looks 45, doesn't he? That's believable. He's looking, he's looking good for 45. I've got to give him that. He is. And, I mean, looking here, the real age of Robert Lozado, he was born in 1963. So, there you go. That's just a bit of trivia for you. And a bit of trivia for you about the song Rapture by Blondie. It was the very first song in the history of the United States Billboard charts to reach number one that featured rap. So, technically, it is the very first rap song to ever go to number one in the US. But you didn't know that, Nick. No, I didn't. There you go. I'm learning things all the time. Well, there you go. You've been educated. So, yeah, as you mentioned, obviously, at this point, he's saying he wants to... Shed his skin, he wants a new face. Sean says, oh, you've been ID'd, essentially. Um, and basically, this is leading to the fact that, yeah, we're going to get this surgery soon. That he's, you know, And he says, like, you changed my face, that's it, we're done. Um, so, we'll get to that. But uh, from here, we go back to, to Gina and uh, Christian. Uh, Christian's very modern-looking phone doesn't date this episode at all. I'm trying to call Sean, and then Gina, as only Gina can do, walks in, hey, asshole, my water just broke. <laughs> Which, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Now, and kind of we get Wild World by Cat Stevens here, and again, we sort of mentioned about how, you know, Rocket Man really ties you to a, a scene in a show a couple of episodes ago that we had. This is the same with Wild World. Every time I hear this song, it just takes me back to Nip Tuck. It just always takes me back to Nip Tuck. And we get a great sort of collection of scenes here. You know, obviously, Julia rocks up to Sean's hotel, wants his ring back. I got rid of it. I don't care. They embrace. Oh, they're back together. Happy days. Uh, don't get used to it. <laughs> I do I do I, like I do. the scene, though, when they're embracing and it's kind of the shot through the hotel window with the rain. That's kind of a nice scene. Don't know if you've got anything to add on Julia and Sean getting back together, you know, 1.0. Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a really good scene because I think what we get in here is a bit of a tie together about the why it's so important to deal with this Escobar issue because they have so much to lose and and it's each other. And, you know, you get the whole thing with, with um, Christian and Gina and all that about to come up here as well, is that these guys all care about each other a whole lot and they can't just let themselves get ripped apart by Escobar. There's too much on the line here. So they have to find a way out of this, really. That's kind of the way I read it anyway. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, but um, it's just... Having known what happens in this season, you just can't get... I mean, I I'm, I vaguely remember watching this in the first time, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, they're back together. But, um, you know, I, I can't be too spoilerific. But just let's just... Again, it's not the first time they break up. It's not the first time they get back together. So, you know... Well, I mean, it is the first time, I should say. It's not the last time. Um, so, just uh, keep an eye out for that as it goes along. But from here, we get um, Gina giving birth, uh, again, as only Gina can do. Screw you, asshole! Like, in the middle of her giving birth. You know, it's a great scene, fantastic. And then we see Christian's face. What's going on? Gina's face. They're all shocked. What is happening? Why is there such shock in everybody's face? Because, dun, 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 the baby is black. Yes, this is this almost feels a little bit um, soap opery, doesn't it? Um, but you know, if I could have done a, you know, like we've got to do a quote at the start. But if I could have done the look on Gina's face as, <laughs> as you know, Christian emerges with this baby, I would have done because her face in that moment is just absolutely classic. It just is so good. Like everybody's reactions here are just. They're brilliant, eh? Yeah, it's it's just so well done. I kind of feel bad now back when I said, like, Dylan Walsh is a good facial actor. I mean, just everybody here is just so good. But 
it's interesting because it's sweet then what happens there with Christian, how he's standing there with the baby and in comes Sean and Julia and it's kind of like, you know, I don't understand. Why is your baby black? And just, just Christian's so sweet, you know, when he's basically saying about, like, I'm not going to abandon him due to dumb some dumb shit like DNA and can't leave him, he's my son. And we kind of get this brief explanation that, you know, Gina doesn't remember it was blackout sex. And then what does Julia say? Something like, oh, you know, do you believe her? And he basically says, like, I'm working around to it. Uh, I mean, again, this will become a plot thing of season two looking ahead, but... Um, you really feel bad for Christian at this point because it, it really is a case of he's done so much. He's tried so hard to change and get ready for this. And it all comes to a point where this kid isn't even his kid. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that we've now got um, a second iteration of Annie, who this character that just kind of comes and goes as it's useful. Um, you know, the, the kids in the show are not particularly well treated. They, you know, they're there when they're important and otherwise they might as well not exist. And um, this baby's going to be exactly the same, I feel, in a lot of cases, especially in the next couple of seasons. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, I think you're right that, you know, it is, and I think a lot of people will kind of, they'll relate to, to Christian here, you know, that it's, Family's not just about blood, you know. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. And it is a really sweet moment. It really sh- shows his humanity and he can't just walk away from something. And, yeah, you re- you really do, ha- do have to feel for him in this moment on a lot of levels. And one thing I will say that with the, uh, the, the reappearance of this baby over the seasons, one thing they do do well, though, is they actually do use the same actors the entire run of this season. It's not like one of these things where they get a baby and they change it up. You know, like, it's the same because they're twins, as they often do with babies in, in shows, you know, because it's easy for them to work with if they look, you know, they can work with one. That's what they did with the Olsen twins, of course, in Full House. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of interesting how they do that. But I just want I wrote this down to really make, I don't know if this makes us feel old or it just makes this show really old. All those babies that we saw in that scene are all now at least 14 years old. So, <laughs> there's, there's something I just wanted to point out for you. <laughs> Yeah, that is, that is pretty weird. Yeah. So, uh, they're, they're basically older than Annie, as we've seen so far in this show. Um, but, yeah, keep an eye on that. Bookmark that one, because uh, that's going to come back. I, it is a nice scene, though, how Christian says, like, you know, I've always wanted a family, and Julia and um, Sean are basically like, you've got a family, you're ours, you know, and it's like, oh, that's sweet. It's like, yeah. Anyway, um, but from here we get uh, we get the newspaper article. Meryl's been sued for ten million dollars. Their appointment book is fully filling up now. Great. Well, I guess what you can what you can say here is that we are now into um, season wrap up mode. Like pretty much, you know, everything that kind of happens here is is pretty much just tying you know, whatever little loose ends are left. And obviously, there's one big loose end that you know we we're, we're going to get into in a moment. But yeah, it is starting to just tie everything together. Um, before we finish the season. So we basically get this point where they say, like, oh, I hope this works. You know, will it work? Let's see. We get um, Sean and Christian in the office with Escobar, showing him his new face, what he'll look like. Um, and I love how they basically, like, Escobar's kind of like, do I look like an Amman to you? And he's like, I'm more attractive than this. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of, it's cool the way they do it. And then obviously, you know, he's happy for it. Yep, this is my face. And he basically says, you know, Pepe has orders to shoot to kill. Shall you try and kill me during the surgery? Which again, you know, maybe that's what we think they're going to be doing. But obviously that's not going to be the case. 
Um, and so we then see him getting put under for the surgery. In the meantime, we get Julia going back to the genetics lab, which can I just point out, I, I did write this down in the episode a few times ago. When she went to the genetics lab, all that was on the glass door was a piece of paper with a printed sign saying genetics lab. They've at least upgraded now and got the words genetics lab written on their door properly. Just uh, thought I'd point that out. And we get our favourite side random character receptionist lady, um, who has had her had the results for three months and kind of, you know, here's Julia trying to find out, is Matt really Sean or Christian's son? And we see her looking in shocked expression, but of course we're not going to find that out straight away, are we, Nick? They've got to hold that over to the next season. Yeah, I'm sure that many people are um, uh, unsure about the outcome of this. So, I mean, we, we won't spoil it because it's not completely obvious in the reactions that are given on screen. Mm, exactly. Uh, but then we get this kind of almost like a uh, is it a sort of a I don't cliche is not the right word a staple of nip tuck sort of towards the end of a season we always get this dinner table scene um which is great i love this dinner table scene we get it i, I know we get it in season two and i believe it we do get it in the final season as well but um just kind of this sort of circular camera shot of everyone around the table we get annie annie's there um and matt's there as well matt's still alive <laughs> hashtag poor matt where's mr frisky though yeah where's i'm frisky? disappointed mr frisky yeah and obviously peck yep. is gone but um <laughs> you know. yeah yeah but uh we we i do like the well, that's, pretty, that's pretty funny actually because part of matt's peck is gone as no. well <laughs> it's kind of like star wars we just get the ghost visions in the background of all the things we have lost this season <laughs> yeah <laughs> matt's yeah, foreskin <laughs> <laughs> just floating around. I, I have to say, I, I have to say, I find this scene to be a little bit too cheesy for you me. Don't like um, it. You know, I mean, it, I, no, I'm not saying that. I, I don't, I don't dislike it, but I think the music's just a little bit too much for me. I, you know, I'm not a huge, huge fan of it. Um, but yeah, you are right. It is a little bit of a staple, and I, I, you know, I do like what they do with this. And you, like you say, it's something that we see a few times. Um, I just think the kind of the just the reactions they have with each other and the stupid smiles that they're giving each other just it all just feels a bit much for me like it, it isn't needed um i didn't really think you needed to be quite so you know happy happy at the end of this i, I yeah I, to me it just feels a little bit overdone julia and annie are the stars of this though they, they're not so happy happy they're just reacting normally uh annie the star of course yeah. by far <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like the stupid, like, you know, like Sean's like pointing and, you know, yeah. this kind of point and smirk thing at Matt. And it's just like, yeah, it's just it's just a bit too much. Like They're all just a bit too happy with each other, given what's happened to all of them over the course of the I season. I see it. I see it. I, I, I see it. The song is following by Chunking, for those playing at home, wanted to know. Um, anyway, then we get to a sign uh, on the screen four months later. We're at the airport and we see this man. Obviously, it's New Escobar walking through the uh, very fancy Miami airport. And uh, all of a sudden, he's being followed by a bunch of men behind him. They're all sort of, you know, on their little headpieces, obviously, uh, you know, chasing after him. And they arrest him. His name is Mr. Barco. And he's like, I don't think you understand. I'm What's his name? Is Armand Ortiz, isn't it? Yeah, I'm Mr. Ortiz. Yeah. And basically, you know, they get in there, arrest him, and they have the line, if you want to, if you want to escape, you know, do more than change your name, change your face. So we see the FBI's top 10 most wanted. Again, I don't know if this is just for Florida or for the US. And so what Christian and Sean have done is they have changed his face to the second most wanted man for killing a federal agent, basically. Now, it's a clever thing that they've done, obviously, um, you know, because this is a way of getting him arrested without, I guess, being Escobar along those lines. But uh, do we want to talk about the potential things around this that could be problems? I mean, 
it's it's clever, but are they really that good at facial surgery to make him look completely like that man? Uh, the 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 actual Mister um, Barco get away with his crime now? Uh, have Christian and Sean just helped the real Mister Barco get away from this? Um, I don't know. There's just little things about this which you want to read too much into, but obviously it's clever. They've done it. They've got him arrested, and we of course close out with the "Tell me what you don't like about yourself" line, which I think that's probably the cheesiest thing about this episode. But um, yeah, I don't know what you kind of want to add on the whole way it closes out. Well, it is. I, you know, I, I think it's a little bit too clever for its own good. And yeah, you point out a couple of things that are wrong with it there. Let me point out a few others. Is that um, how lucky did these guys get that there was somebody else that they found out about who was wanted, who was exactly the same height and basic build as Escobar? Mm-hmm. Um, what ha- what happens when he's arrested? He's just going to go well. You know, well, I guess he can't because he's, you know, he's wanted in his own right that he can't just go, well, these plastic surgeons made me look like this. But you would think that there might be some plea deals or something like that where he might be prepared to dob in these guys. So I don't really know about that. Um, and, and then what happens when this, you know, um, this other Barco guy shows up and they suddenly realize that the guy they've got is not him or, you know, like there's a lot of things that could happen here. And let's go back to a line that was said earlier in the episode is that, you know, sending this guy to prison won't end this. And, you know, and, and, you know, that's a problem is because they've kind of not followed their own rule here a little bit. And, you know, I think we've been really complimentary that these guys kind of follow the, you know, they tie everything up. They make sure that it's all, it's all done up and there's not a lot of loose ends. And this is probably a pretty big loose end for me in this scene. Um, one thing I do want to point out that I absolutely love about the scene is the music though. Yeah. Um, and, um, it's not a song that I've ever heard before. Um, so what's it called? Machine Gun by the Commodores. Yep. And I absolutely love it. It's, for me, it's the highlight of this whole scene is, um, is the music. I think it's fantastic. Um, but other than that, yeah, there are a lot of issues with this. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting to think that, that I definitely singled that line out too, that, you know, if he goes to jail, um, it doesn't end. And, I mean, look, again, not really such a spoiler, but this doesn't end. This does come back at one point, but we won't say much more than that. But... Yeah, it's just, and like, little things like, does, does this, does Mr. Barco have the same accent? Um, you know, just like when they're grilling him in the room when it comes to, you know, talking about what he's done and all this sort of stuff. It's just, he's going to have different fingerprints, um, different DNA. Like, it's just, it's interesting. And surely, you know, they've had to put him on medication for his epically huge facial surgery. Um, so it's kind of like any medical history. Oh yeah, I just had facial surgery. So, you know, um, I guess we just have to give it a pass mark for just epically big plot holes with all of this. Again, we're not doctors. Maybe it's a lot easier than we think. But, um, yeah, I just, I just think like it's a bit cheesy. Like it's good how they end it. Tell me what you don't like about yourself, I guess. But it's kind of the way they sort of smile at each other. It's kind of who is that patient? Why are they smiling at them? You know, it's like who's sitting in that chair and they're just basically like laughing at the fact that they've just gotten away with getting this guy arrested. Have they just literally checked the news before they've talked to this patient? I mean, what if this patient sitting opposite them is like, you know, got cancer or something horrific and they're just like, ah, tell me what you don't like about yourself. Yeah, yeah, it is all a bit a bit much for me, I have to say. And yeah, I think there are some really big, I mean, to me, it doesn't really, um, it, it doesn't ruin the end of the season. I won't go that far, but I think, I think there could have been a better way out of this. Um, I'm not entirely sure what that is, but I, I'm I'm not a TV writer. Otherwise, um, <laughs> I might be able to come up with something a little bit better than this. But to me, I think that they probably didn't really finish this in 
you know, if, if we're talking about sticking the landing, perhaps that was a pretty a pretty bumpy landing on this one. You know, it, was, yeah. it, it didn't completely completely crash the plane, um, nothing like that. But it's definitely not the smoothest landing for this first season. And just thinking about the other finales that they'll have, I mean. It's kind of a 50-50 spread on the fact that they like to end on cliffhangers. And I guess this ties it all up. We don't really have a cliffhanger. You know, season two ends on a cliffhanger. Season three ends on a sort of strange cliffhangery sort of thing. Uh, four doesn't end on a cliffhanger, but it, I like the way season four ends. Five, I mean, that's a two-part of a season, technically. You know, both parts of the season definitely end on a cliffhanger. And then six, well, obviously, it's how the show ends. It kind of wraps up nicely. But... Um, yeah, it's kind of out of all the way they end their seasons, along with season four, I would say, the lightest they end it. And I would argue season four uh, ends it much better than season one. Yeah, I mean, I I just think that there's there's a lot of issues with this ending. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess if they, if they thought that this storyline was never going to come back, you could give it a pass. Yeah. But the fact that they bring this back... Um, you know, maybe they realise, hey, we didn't quite get that, and we we need to we need to fix this. Um, and you know, we'll we'll see how they go with that when they get there. But yeah, for me, it's a it's a disappointing way to end what was otherwise a, a pretty incredible season. And I definitely feel it's something that they you kind of want them to bring back, and it's good that they do. Um, because you know, again, we're sort of talking about all the main antagonists of Nip Tuck. You know, Escobar's up there, top two, top three. Um, best of the entire season's run. And, uh, you know, you, you've got to bring someone like Robert Lasado back to keep playing that. But, yeah, it's um, we'll, we'll get to that. Obviously, comes a bit more of a thing later on. But uh, that's uh, that's it. That's season one done. That's uh, episode 13 done. And I guess before we give it our review, have got anything else to, uh, to really add? Because I guess we won't really say much in terms of looking forward to season two because we'll do that in our season one wrap. But, I mean, unless you've got anything else to add, Nick, we can get into our, our rent it, buy it, bin it section. Yeah, and I don't have anything else to add. And um, this is a, this is one of the more straightforward ones for me in terms of making that decision. Um, my memory of these last couple of episodes is that it was very Escobar heavy. Um, it was really a you know quite a nail biter in terms of how that all finished. And I have to say, walking away, I'm I'm pretty disappointed um, because it's it's not quite what I wanted. And I think there's some really good beats in this episode. I think the the you know the stuff around Sean and Julia is good. I think the stuff around Christian and Gina is good um, and sets us up for some good stuff going forwards. Um, but ultimately, I wanted that payoff with the Escobar stuff, and I just don't feel I got it. So for me, it's an easy rent. It's um, it's definitely not a binner because you, you do need to see this episode. Um, but it, it's not a buy for me. So it definitely fits really comfortably into that rent category. Interesting, interesting. I mean, I, I definitely agree with pretty much everything you said there, but I, I'm still going to put this in a buy it just because I feel that, um, you know, if you're ranking episodes of Nip Tuck, Overall, over the the hundred episodes that we get, I, I mean, I could argue this could easily fit in a top ten, top twenty episodes, just because it does tie a lot of it in, and it's kind of interesting. Yeah, the payoff there, I can understand what you're saying, but I don't know. I just, I just feel this is one that is easily a, you know, one that I could easily just watch over and over again, and despite the fact that I felt like I ripped into it more than I honestly thought I would. So I think this might be our... I mean, I know we've had, I think, ones in the past where, like, you've rented and I've bought another way around, but this might be the biggest discrepancy on those ones, Nicholas. So, uh, interesting. Well, it's good to have a bit of discrepancy. We don't want to agree on everything. That is very true. We are from two different countries that generally don't agree with a lot of each other a lot of the time, um, but, 
yeah, I don't know where that was going with that. Uh, but yes, we are going to be back. Obviously, we're still going to be doing season two. We've still got five more seasons to cover. But our next episode will just be sort of a general recap of the first season, looking looking back on things that worked, didn't work. We'll do some ratings and rankings throughout it as well. So I look forward to that one uh, coming pretty much around this episode is released anyway. So you're probably already seeing it online. But uh, in the meantime, if you're enjoying these rewatches, these recaps, perhaps again this might be the very first time you've ever watched Nip Tuck. Let us know your thoughts. You can email us, network at hotmail.com. You can tell us on Facebook, Twitter, wherever works for you. And remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you do listen to your podcasts. And you can always rate us. You can leave us feedback and everything else in between. But this has been a lot of fun. We've got plenty more to come. And uh, it's a great pleasure to be talking to you about all this. And let's close it all out by saying my name is Ben, otherwise known as Poodles with Nudicles. And I'm Nick, and how do fat people have sex? Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.